0: Follow us on Apple Podcasts or anywhere else you listen.
1: Never seen the sky so blue. The birds
0: are singing, I got nothing to do. Hey, hey. Hey,
1: hey. Mm, it's a sunny day. Sunday, uh, my pocket's empty. My cupboard's bare. Call me illogical. I just don't care. Hey, hey. Hey, hey. hey, hey. It's a sunny day. Hey, hey, hey. It's the KSL Greenhouse. Expert tips for flowers, trees, gardens, and soil. Our hosts are Maria Chaleos and Ton Medis on KSL News Radio.
3: Good morning and thank you for joining us for the KSL Greenhouse. And the sun is trying to break through that cloud cover. And it does look like a very pretty day, though, Ton.
1: It is clearing up. The sun's coming out a bit. There's something going on somewhere. The parking lot across the street is filling up.
3: Mm -hmm. People are up and at them. They are. Um, We want to get the year off to a good start. And we want to, uh, let's talk about our tools in the garden. I have, I have confessed to you that I'm terrible with my tools. I always want to be out in the garden until the very last minute. Then I throw my tools in some sort of bucket and I'm off and running with the rest of my day. But what are some really good habits that we can get into that would really help these tools last longer? They're expensive.
1: They are expensive. We or
3: talked. they're really cheap and they don't last more yeah. than a year,
1: right? You know, we talked about this a little bit last November about making sure everything's sharp and oiled and you get the... When you use pruners, you get sap on them that can degrade the metal, you know, and using something like an orange oil or a degreaser to get them cleaned. Well, those principles apply to tools that we own now. You know, I, I was talking during the break, an example of my grandfather, who was an avid gardener, had a shovel. That was years and years old, but every time he used it in the garden, it was immediately washed off with a hose. He dried it with a hand towel and then put more oil on it and then hung it back up in the spot in the garage. And he had it so long and he sharpened it so much that initially it was probably 14, 15 inches long and he had sharpened half of it off just because he had it for so many years. I wish that I had it just as an heirloom. An example of how he cared for his things, you know, and he did that with everything, you know, whether it was hand pruners, they were always sharpened every year, and the tips were oiled to keep the rust from getting them. But in modern days, as you mentioned, it seems like. Stuff that you buy that's more economy priced doesn't last it that does long. It does not. But and, if
3: you buy something that is expensive and of good quality, you're going to want to make sure and take better care of yes,
1: it. Yes, it, it really is your responsibility to take care of it because, you know, even a gardening shovel, you know, will one that will last for years that's contractor-grade could easily cost anywhere from 55 to $90, for one shovel that will last for a lot of years. And if you spend that much money on a shovel, then why not take care of it?
3: It really concerns me that we become such a disposable society that we don't care. We'll buy the cheap stuff and then we'll just get a new one in a couple. of years. But where does that stuff go? Into our
1: landfill. Into our landfills. And even on the least expensive gardening tools. Now, if that's what you can afford, then go with it. You know, I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, you need to buy no, the best. I'm not saying that. But if, you know, the policy that we try to say is the best you can afford. And so there's a lot of good mid grade stuff out there that, if you're careful, will still last you quite a while. And so like on a shovel, you know, if your handle breaks, one thing you can do is most garden centers and farm stores will will carry handles that you can drill out the rivet and get the old wood out that's still in the shovel and just put the new one in there and put a bolt through it and off you go again. Right. And so there's quite a bit that you can do to fix things that we just don't think about.
3: Let's talk about our best practices. What are those things we can do every time we go out into the yard and start pruning or clipping or using our shears? If
1: you're using cutting tools like shears and loppers and hand pruners, Then, when you are done using them, you need something like a degreaser. So, WD 40 or uh, the orange oils. There are several things you can use that will break down the sap that gets on the blades. Mm -hmm. And the reason we do this is that will get gummy. And it actually, as it breaks down, can rust the blades and take the edge off so that it's a lot harder to sharpen and maintain. And so they need to be washed after use. Rubbing alcohol will sometimes degrade metal, but it's one that if you have nothing else on hand using it occasionally because rubbing alcohol will break through those sappy substances and then you can hurry and get it off and then put some sort of protective oil on the blades. They should be stored in a shed or somewhere out of the rain. I had an expensive set of loppers that turned up missing my kids had gotten them, and my son decided to do me favors and cut down weeds, and they were left on the ground, and it snowed, and I got them the next year, and they were ruined. Mm-hmm. You know, I took a wire brush out and tried to resharpen them, but they were so pitted that it was just a loss, and it, they were a sixty-dollar set of whoppers. Painful. painful so it's painful. just you need to be careful. You know, on power equipment. You know, there are things like our snow blowers. We don't think about, you know, winterizing them. And I put that in air quotes because we winterize them through the summer. But those need to be at the end of the season. I always run ethanol free fuel. There are many, many gas stations that sell it. They'll usually advertise it. Maverick is one that a lot of their locations have it because if you leave fuel that has ethanol in it, which is our standard gasoline, it will put a patina on the innards of the carburetor and ruin it mm-hmm. as it breaks down. And so if you have gasoline, I always use ethanol free, and you know, I might even put some stabilizer in there, like stable. And I follow the instructions of manufacturers. Some say leave some in there, and some say get it out. Uh, change the oil often. You know, people will change oil once a year. On their power equipment but if you read the instructions and talk to the dealers a lot of power equipment you need to change the oil even as a homeowner two or three times a summer mm-hmm. and so there's just a lot of things read the instructions see what you need to do sharpen the blades you know on on your mowers now is a great time to do that with it being the middle of the winter a lot of the shops are slower and so if you have a rototiller and a lawnmower and a gas-powered string trimmer, get them all into the shop now. Get them serviced and get them back so that they can be ready to go when the snow melts off and we need to start getting out in the
3: yard. If we do find rust on some of our uh, tools, what's the best way to get
1: rid of that? Wire brush will work. If just a hand brush. Mm-hmm. Or if you have a wheel, a wire brush on a wheel, will, uh, like a grinding wheel, will get that off also. Then once you have it off, uh, you would want to use a protective oil, Um, there's gear oil you can use. I might, Karen likes that. You my, I've talked to people that use motor oil that hasn't been used in the vehicle yet. Oh, they'll just get a little bit of motor oil that's new and brush it on there. But oils will protect those from rusting.
3: All right. And Michelle has put up an article on the KSL Greenhouse Facebook page uh, where you can find uh, many of these tips as well. We're going to take a break. Come back with your calls and questions. The number to call 801-575-8255. Text us at five seven five zero zero.
2: It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a
1: sudden they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought I'm going to die today.
3: Good morning. Thank you for joining us for the KSL Greenhouse. Maria Anton with you, taking your calls. Phone lines are open, 801-575-8255. You can also text us at 575-00. Ton, our next listener says they missed their luscious blueberry plants that they had in Modesto, California, and they want to know, is it possible to grow blueberries in Syracuse? They say they have tried, but they haven't had luck so far.
1: It is very. Difficult, And it depends on how much money you want to spend. Oh, So the story I got from the fruit production professor when I was in school was that you need to create a raised bed, preferably on the east side of your home. And you're going to use a sandy soil mixed with a lot of peat moss and then put your blueberries into that. And then you're going to need to find a soil acidifying fertilizer like Miracle Grows mirror acid. And use that every week to two weeks, so that you can keep that soil a little more acid. And therefore, every yes, Mm -hmm. every year you're going to stir in one or two inches of compost, probably two inches of compost around the top of them. Now, when the blueberries become ripe, you fly to Maine and pick them. So. Okay. No, I locally, I do know of people <laughs> growing blueberries, but that was a story we got in fruit production. Oh. And it's just, you can do it, but it just depends. It becomes a hobby, almost like you're taking care of a puppy.
3: Well, it sounds like this person would like that hobby, though.
1: Yes. And um, USU has a fact sheet on growing blueberries. If you Google USU and growing blueberries, it'll tell you how to do it. and. People are getting even fruit off of them. It's just one thing, though, that it is a hobby, and it's not like growing tomatoes or growing other things that are easier. It's
3: not going to be incredibly
1: productive? No.
3: Oh, boy. Okay, next listener wants to know, are there any snail-resistant hostas? If so, please tell us.
1: Man, I, I don't know of any hostas like that the, have been bred too. with, like, a pit bull that would eat the snails. Do
3: you or... know what? I have to really watch those and, and put, you know, snail bait or whatever around them.
1: I think that snail bait is going to be your friend but sometimes. It's
3: animal-friendly, though.
1: Well, there is animal-friendly snail okay. bait. Okay. I don't know if it works as well, but it Doggo is one of them. Hmm. There are some other knockoffs of that one, and it's basically iron sulfate. I like The other snail bait's better, but a lot of people like this Doggo, it's D-O-G-G-O. Okay. And they can try that one and see if it works. The other thing they can try is habitat modification to where they get rid of a, you know, if there's bark mulch around them, you may temporarily take that away. Uh, Make sure that the soil dries out between irrigations because snails require moist environments. And so those are a few things you can try, but I think that they're going to end up with some sort of snail bait out there periodically to keep them under control.
3: One of our listeners wanted to chime in on uh, taking care of our tools. They say, if you have rust on your yard tools, simple grain with a scotch pad works well. Good, good. Good advice. Thank you. Uh, Next listener says, when can they start onions, leeks, and celery indoors? They live in Sandy.
1: Onions and leeks need to be started now. Because it will take them several weeks to get to a plantable size when you put them out in mid to late March. Celery is started in early February and then it's outplanted sometime in mid April. Now, the celery can be a challenge, and because it's such a long season crop, and Utah at one time used to be a very major celery producing area. And there's even a good celery uh, strain out there called Utah celery. Oh. And so you can find that one, but it's one that is rarely grown by homeowners just because of, again, if you're growing celery, it's a hobby. It's not that it's a ton of maintenance. It's just you have to get it right and you have to get the plants planted at the right time, get them out in mid-April, and then let them go into the fall before you can harvest.
3: Okay, Diane is on the line in Taylorsville. Good morning, Diane. What is your question?
4: Hey, I have two potted plants that came from Costco. They have a dracaena in the middle and then geraniums around the edges. They're in their second or third winter over, and the dracaenas get so huge. Can I cut the crown out of that and control it, or
1: you'll kill what it? What
4: do I do? You know, the, uh, that'll kill it. Yeah, so don't the lower cut the entire crown I, uh, out. Go ahead. Okay, the low the lower leaves die and it just keeps getting taller
1: is, does it have a lack of light or where you're storing and is forcing it to reach like that?
4: No, it's, it's over the, by the time it hits the fifth or sixth year, I mean, it looks like Horton hatches a who waiting for somebody yeah. to sit in the top. of On it. On those
1: Dracaena, the growing points are at the tips of the branches. And if you cut it, you cut all the growing points off and there are no buds lower down to reform growth. Okay, so, so
4: just get a new one in six or eight yes, years. Yes, yeah. Okay, well, thanks. I I do. I've had amazing success with drainings in my garage. So, and if if anybody else is wintering them over, can I give you a tip? Sure. You freeze a water bottle, uh, just one of your drinking water bottles, just the little you know ones from the grocery store. And then about once a month, I take the lid off and tip it upside down in the plant, and it drips and waters and doesn't flood anything in my garage. Oh, yeah, all right. So it's awesome. okay. Nice tip. Hey, okay. thank you. Thank, thank you, Diane. Bye
3: bye. Bye bye. Um. I overwinter my geraniums. I just water them once a week or every ten days, depending on how much they need, and they do really well. And especially if you have a big plant, it can be really expensive to buy a big pot of geraniums. But I'm at the stage now where mine are almost too big for the pots, and I might need to kind of uh, cuttings. Cuttings. I'm thinking of cuttings. It's not hard to do. No, I've done cuttings before. Um, Am I too late to have them be worthwhile for spring?
1: You might bring the cuttings indoors into a warmer area to encourage them to sprout. Yeah. Because geraniums have a really waxy leaf Mm -hmm. and stems are not hard. I know that uh, a horticulturist who I learned a lot from, one of the mentors, Bill Varga, who's actually... A former host of the show from back in the 80s, Uh, Bill has a geranium variety that he's been propagating every year for 30 or 40 years from cuttings that isn't on the market anymore because his wife likes it. Hmm. And uh, so it's, it's very doable.
3: Right. I love to do cuttings. My grandmother used to do cuttings. I watched her every year. She would, because it was expensive to buy geraniums way back. Well, it's expensive now. It seriously. is. They're and one she of the would more plants. Yeah, take those cuttings. Um, one of our listeners wanted to chime in about the hostas, and they say that they've put sand around their hostas as a barrier to snails, and they've had great success with that.
1: The sand would dry out, and that might prevent them a bit. Uh, They can crawl over the top of the sand, but if the sand gets really dry, they may not like the situation. Okay,
3: so that's probably why it's worked for them. Number to call with your questions, 801-575-8255. Phone lines lines are open. You can text
2: us at five seven five zero zero. It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison.
1: Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought,